0: Next okay. director
1: yeah. is going to be director number 20.
0: Oh, right at the start. Okay, number 20 is... Oh, that's nice. Alfonso Cuaron.
1: Okay. Alfonso Cuaron. So we've got Children of Men, uh, Roma, Harry Potter and... Uh...
0: <coughs> Have that y- isn't that That's it, yes. <laughs> yeah. Gravity, um, Itumama Tambien...
1: Oh, I remember that was like the every teenage boy was in love of that movie. Yes. You know, if you've seen it, you'll you'll understand why. But yeah, he's a he's a good and his Quirón. Mm.
0: Yeah, I like his work very much. I think like there there is some pre Etu Mamatambien stuff. I'm pretty sure. I know Etu Mamatambien was his big international breakthrough, but mm. I think he had made films in Mexico before that. So I don't know whether that might mm. be worth looking into.
1: I mean I can't speak for the people who are gonna be on that, but I won't mind watching Gravity again, seeing if it holds up outside of the cinema because mm. in the cinema it's it's brilliant, but I saw it in IMAX when I was
2: Wow. When I, I went to see that in the Glasgow IMAX and um Children of Men I rewatched during lockdown and it's still great. I absolutely
0: love that movie. Do you um, find it's becoming more and more like a documentary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Then> like <laughs> Pretty it. much.
1: My name is Rob, and welcome to Directors Uncut. We put filmmakers from all corners of the globe on a huge list that covers everything from documentary essays to gory slapstick. It's a hell of an episode. Then we turn it into a lottery of directors by using a random number generator to pick a name out of the hat. Whatever name comes out, myself and a rotating cast of guest hosts from the podcasting world discuss them and their work through two films. This week, I have been joined by Mike Miller. Hello, uh, grin Hello, and Andy. Oh. Yes.
0: Um, how you all doing? Not bad. Yeah. It's um, it's rainy now. Has anyone mm. seen the rain? That's quite yeah, interesting nice yeah. at the moment. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm in Scotland. Rain's just kind of the <laughs> default.
1: I say with Wales usually. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> well, um. I can't pick up off that. you have giving me terrible intro like, <laughs> conversation yeah, here. Yeah. I can't suck a... out that, yeah, <laughs> and, and sound like a, a glorious pro. So why <laughs> <My> bother? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we've got it's our second two part. We've just done Takashi Katano, and oh, yeah. now it's what Alf- Oh, here we go. Pronunciations. It sounds like an easy name to pronounce, but they're the ones that get you, Alfonso Quaron. <laughs>
0: That's
1: correct. Yeah. Yes. It, late, yeah. There we go. Like so, um, I guess exposure where when we first heard about this guy. Um Mike.
3: Um, well, I, my my literal first exposure was the Harry Potter film being directed <laughs> it was the first time I was ever aware of him. Um, and then eventually I got around I saw like Children of Men on T V and Gravity. So I'm only sort of aware like his sort of predominantly English language. Stuff, yeah. so I've
1: been on the catch up since then, basically. We've well, got a hell of a filmography to catch up with, yeah. So it's, it's fine. And I, I'm asking Graham next, and I'm assuming his answer is going to be exactly the same as mine, but I, I will push through. So, Graham, Quran.
0: uh, I, I became aware of him with Etu Mamatambien. Um, I, Although I I didn't see that at the time. I think the first one that I actually saw was, like Mike, his uh, his Harry Potter film, uh, which I think was called Harry Potter and the One That Was Good. <laughs> and, uh, after that, uh, I, I became a bit of a convert. I think I've seen every film he's directed since then. I think that's right. It's hard to tell because he, he goes dormant for long hmm. periods. Yeah. It's, it's deceptively old as well. He's older than a fart he'd be. Oh, yeah, because mm. he never makes films at a reasonable <laughs> pace. If you'd make a film every couple of years like a normal person, he'd be in his mid-twenties. True, true. And Andy, your first uh, quite on exposure? Um,
2: so it would have been Harry Potter. It uh, would have been the first of his that i seen, but I wasn't aware that he had made that until after I'd seen Gravity. And then just yeah. went back and checked out his kind of back catalogue, and yeah, it was. I've not seen any of his phone. I've not seen the two Mama Tambien. Is that right? It's two yeah. Mama Tambien.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And Paris, je t'aime. I, I think that's a, that's part, a an face. anthology thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Is it? Right, okay. Just to go, just got his IMDb up just to, <laughs> to <laughs> safely. Um, but yeah, it was gravity. Would have been the first thing i have seen that IMAX, which was probably oh, the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, best way to see it because mm. obviously we're not going to talk about gravity. But after I'd seen it once, that was enough type of thing.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I worry that that movie won't hold up in any way shape or form without that sort of big screen experience. Mm. I didn't, I didn't think it did
2: particularly. I have watched it out with that. So, so I mean, once should have been enough, and that would have been okay. And it was, it was fine. But it's just the scope IMAX just adds to it, doesn't oh, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And um, personally, I discovered it around the same time that Graham did a lot. I did watch E2 Man 10bn, and I was part of the, the generation of teenagers who were all the brows by it instantly and thought, ooh. <laughs> 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 so it'd be interesting watching that again. <laughs> was it worth checking out? I've never. Uh, it was a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was like, what, 2001? Yeah. So, going back a way since I last saw it. Mm. Yeah. I think it was when um, was it Gael Garcia Barnell?
0: It was a... his big breakthrough. Yeah, him and Diego Luna.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's cool. Diego Luna as well. Bloody hell!
0: Yeah, I he was in
1: that too. Wow. Okay. So today, I think it's fair to say um, we're talking about his two sort of cornerstones, the big, big movies that everybody knows about and that everybody appreciates at least.
0: I would say that the yeah. cornerstones of him as an author, I mean, obviously his Harry Potter film is pretty big, but oh, well, like, yeah. these, yeah. people but, um, may not know that's him.
1: I don't think it's a series which is well known to the, the directors uh, who penned each uh, like part of the series. It's more the movie is the mm. big mm. important part rather than who made it. Exactly,
0: yeah.
2: It does go a bit visually different in the third, and game. I'm not going to going to this one too much, but the changes mm. look a kind of a certain few things which changes it from the kind of cookie cutter kids' movies mm. and one and two, and then into something a wee bit better. But yeah, mm. that's all in
1: that. I was wanting to say it's a bit gothic as well, isn't it? That, yeah, uh, yeah, mm. yeah, it's yeah but, um, okay. hmm. the two movies, uh, Roma and Children of Men,
0: two very, very different movies, so <laughs> um. What do we want to do first i think children of men is the one you build to personally
3: mm, yeah <laughs>
1: Who wants to... I mean, it's a slim plot, really, but who wants to uh, describe Roma? The plot
0: of Roma? It is a very slim plot, you're right. It's a a sort of character study, I guess, of Cleo, uh, uh, indigenous maid in Mexico City in the Roma district of Mexico City, hence the name, in the early 70s. She's the cleaner for a rich family. She has a boyfriend called Firmin, and... Part of the pleasure of it, for me, is for a while, it seems like nothing plot-wise is happening. And then it starts to gather together, I think.
1: Mm. Okay, so um, Mike and Andy, what are your feelings on this? Because I know Graham is a big advocate of this one, but uh, you too.
2: Um... So this was a first watch for me and I remember the whole hype around it because it was Netflix really pushing for the, the Academy Awards mm. um, and uh, I wasn't too keen on it to be honest. Um, I appreciate it as a piece of filmmaking It's beautifully shot, it's well acted, um, so the cinematography and it's great, um, I really like the, the kind of score that's kind of subtle throughout it, it's not a huge huge part of it. But I just didn't enjoy the overall movie. Like I got and again it's just how I kind of felt about it. I did get a wee bit bored, even even the second half. Once there is more of a kind of plot development, I still wasn't massive on it.
1: Okay, uh, Mike.
3: Uh, yeah, so I think I did try, I watched this at the time, or at least tried to, I think I, I gave up at about like an hour and a half in or so, um, I think probably literally when the plot started to kick in, as it were, like when she goes to the, um, the, like the training camp. Um, so watching it fall through, like, I liked it, but I, like, I didn't really connect with it as emotionally as I felt I should have done, because the story
1: is quite That's interesting. Like,
3: yeah, it felt a little bit too, I mean, we'll get onto, I guess, the, the style of it, but this whole the whole continuous take thing It's interesting. Watching this back to back with Children of Men, like here it felt a little bit too removed for me. It felt a little bit. I was like, I was noticing that style. I wasn't getting invested in the story for me. But it, you know, it's it feels childish to complain about it. It is like good, but it's just I didn't. It didn't really resonate with me as strong as I thought it would.
1: So building up to the the champion of it, then Graham. Yeah. Just defend uh, it. Defend it, Tana.
0: No, I do seek that. And I think if you're not sort of charmed by it in the first half, it's going to struggle to get you on board when the plot starts to gather pace. I mean, I really love it. It reminds me of one of my favourite films, uh, Killer of Sheep by Charles Burnett, oh, yeah, which is. Yeah, say that. Yeah. A similar, even though it's very different like ends of the economic spectrum, uh, Kill of Sheep is also this almost plotless black and white study of a neighbourhood uh, that's clearly made with a lot of love and a lot of attention towards the lifestyles of the people who live there and I think What is great about it is that Quaron has made a a sort of a an Oscar movie, if you get my meaning. You know, it is a family drama rooted in his past, set at this flashpoint in Mexican history. But he's done it in such a way where it's only really about like the start of Act Three, where you think. Oh, it's about that. You know, other people would have turned this into Titanic, is what I'm saying. Other people would have had this like tragic star-crossed lovers in 1970s Mexico torn apart by history and politics. And Quaron finds it more interesting to him this life because it is low-key rather than because it is you know significant because it is historically meaningful he's he's celebrating the tiny things and i really relate to that i mean i've had
1: a, a bit of a rocky road with this one um this is my third viewing of it weirdly enough ah. um first time i couldn't finish it it, it, it uh, i think it has to be said that it's one of these movies that if you aren't in the right mood for it
0: Mm, definitely I
1: think you will bounce off it almost entirely Mm. Uh, second I I liked it quite a bit but um, I pretty much echo what Mike thought in the second viewing but uh, third viewing yeah I think it's really came alive a lot more than it did previously
0: Mm. oh brilliant yeah
1: Um, I think there's a reason for that Um, it's kind of like hangout movies hangout movies is just two or however many people it is just hanging about and uh, you sort of experience their life. Mm. Mm-hmm. And these big events, there don't usually... They're not usually they are not centerpieces. They sort of happen on the periphery of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie sort of captures that really, really well. He's not trying to make it issues movie. He's not trying to mm. depict these um, really tumultuous periods in Mexican history. It's just all of a there happening.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it like... I might maybe remembering this wrong, but is it kind of based around his mother's experience of the time? I think I'm I possibly. I'm sure I heard something along those lines when it was getting released, but I might be wrong.
0: It's, it's based on his childhood memories, yeah. Right. I think the, the wife of the family uh, that Cleo is working for Mm -hmm. is probably slightly inspired by his mother I think I remember Uh, because he did come from a a sort of fairly well off background interestingly the family in this aren't quite as well off as they want to project. There's that great running gag about mm -hmm. the car going into the garage (laughs) where the car is just slightly too big for the garage Mm -hmm. and they have to be very careful parking it because they're giving an impression of themselves as being richer and more affluent than they mm. actually are. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. an interesting
1: thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, image of Mexico as a really
0: uh, fractured thing. Mm. Yeah. In American films, it tends to be depicted as a very uniform place because it's depicted, I guess, in opposition to America um, and in terms of countries having relationships with each other. I think Mexico is definitely the junior partner there, but there's a real, sense of the social strata and the, and the racial diversity of Mexico too. It is very important at times that Cleo can speak a language that the family you employer can't. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it existed before this movie. Yeah, I didn't I did, did like, like that. No. Yeah.
2: So is that like um, a Mexican dialect or Spanish she's speaking?
3: It's, it's like a Mixtaco, I it, guess like it's called wasn't it? Mixed
0: yeah, it's an indigenous thing. It's like uh, it existed before the Spanish invasion. Right. Apparently, uh, yulitia Aparicio, who plays Cleo, couldn't speak it. That's Good. how oh, wow. sort of far it's fallen from, from the culture. She had to learn it, especially for this film. That's
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, we have to talk about it uh, because it's so heavily geared around the long text cinematography. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what are our feelings on it here?
0: I can see why it sticks slightly in people's craw because, unlike something like Gravity, where you buy a ticket for Gravity and you want to be blown out of your seat visually, I can see why people think this very small story about like childcare is a weird venture to be using this on. But I think it's it's less showy than a lot of his previous films in that way. Like the the camera moves that stick out in my head. Just simple ones where it pans around the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that sticks out to me as being the kind of domestic observation that the film is is all about. Okay, I think for me the the kind of stand out one of that is
2: the end. Mm. Uh, don't know, not want to jump ahead, but that was a beautiful shot with the sunset behind and following mm. Cleo into the water as she's as she's kind of saving the kids. And it, this is what I was saying about it: it just wasn't particularly for me, but I can appreciate parts like that. Yeah, yeah. the the one where it kind of stuck and kind of like you're saying, uh, Graham kind of stuck in McRobbie, bit was it was when she's at the camp and it just kind of lingers on it. It felt a bit too long, just. A, a a static shot just on her for maybe mm. ten, twenty seconds too long. Like mm-hmm. just wee bits like that, yeah. But um the it was the end scene for me was probably the best use
1: of it, I think. And there's a Belgian film, I can't remember this name because it's incredibly long, <laughs> uh, about a woman just doing sort of household chores. Oh yeah, the one, yeah
0: And one Never. day, Bob, one day I'm going to get you to watch it And you'll love it
1: <laughs> I, I, I may lose my mind by watching it And then somehow come round to
0: loving it Through that process But um... That could be what happened to me You know, I gave it five stars on Letterboxd But it could have been Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> Well, maybe
2: I think people earn money on on Twitch Doing that now as well, don't they? That's really how <laughs> you can sleep <laughs> You can just have a camera on your feet for 24 hours and folk will give you a fucking tips.
0: Nah. <laughs> oh, my. Sh- Shanta Lackerman's Twitch stream would have been great. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> we never got to see that.
1: I think it's... I think there's a point to it, though. The mm, long take yeah. cinematography. Yeah. And um, What was... Yeah. Um, uh, it's a terrible movie. Um, you probably shouldn't be referencing it, but it's the one with... uh, She's working in a... um. In compliance, I think it was called. All oh, right, which I haven't no, seen. Watched, not I seen. Where that. it's a woman who's in a fast food chain, and she gets phone uh, calls from who's poison to be a policeman, and um, the policeman asks her to do stuff, um, explicit stuff. Mm. Mm. It has that same sort. Of, I mean, it's a bit of a weird reference, but it's that sort of um, in a skip, You yeah. are looking at this person's life um, mm-hmm. on the bottom rung of Mexican society. It'd be easy mm. to cut away and mm-hmm. to lessen the how would i word this lessen the that, poverty but yeah. st- sticking with her it means you see her through thick and thin you see the full picture of her life not just the edited and presented one
3: mm-hmm. yeah and that is nice when you, it's when you when it feels like you're watching like a snapshot like i really like the um when they're at like, the uncles for christmas and again it feels like you just like the cameras are sort of just planted in the corner. And you're watching them sort of running mm. about. It's just, it feels nice because it feels like you're just sort of like is sat in that room. So I, that's when it's really nice is when it's there to be. You're just observing, that that is the yeah. impression you get all the way through. Um, it never feels too like flashy in that regard. So I, it didn't didn't really bother me the, the, the long takes. Like mean, it was just like it's like once you notice it, you can't not notice it. If that makes sense. Like once once you can't once yeah. you fail to like rather than going for what it's being used for. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, my my first take was with a long take. I mean, if if you have Christmas dinner every the year, you get sick of it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I didn't see the point of all of long takes and I, I did in the third viewing. So yeah, it's just it's one of those movies where you got to look for it, I think, if you mm-hmm. want to look for it, that is, because yeah. it isn't the movie that's yeah. really designed for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, yeah, I think that's like what you're saying, like the the style of the the filmmaking and it the the point that I made about the um the scene at the camp it mm-hmm. kind of also while well it did annoy me slightly it also gave a good impression of her kind of loneliness and abandonment at that moment because she's mm-hmm. seeing this group of boisterous men going off to do whatever it is they're doing she obviously at that point doesn't really fully understand what's happening um and she's just left on her own with, but at this point we found out she's pregnant to this mm-hmm. uh, teferma. Um, and it's, it's a good depiction of that, but I just felt it was just, yeah, a, a wee bit too stretched.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I mean, um, as far as depictions in Mexico, I think this is probably the most hopeful I've seen from a lot of
0: people. Oh, Usually yeah. it's Mexico, it's a pit. it's all doomed. Doomed. <laughs> It's not Sicario. I think we can all agree on that. There's
2: usually a yellow filter over, isn't
0: there? <laughs> you just take that out, make it black and white, it's fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, any other thoughts about uh, Roma? Uh,
3: I did wonder, I've not actually seen Belfast, but I wonder if there's a comparison to be made that it's also like a black and white film based on like a childhood memory thing. I, mm. I don't know, also sort Oscar. We? I don't. I don't
1: really have much to say beyond that. Well, it's that one is a bit uh, Oscar-based, a bit of a postcard movie,
3: right? Mm. I got the impression that's what. kind of is obviously a very different sort of director to. to yeah, it, it is not a very good one. So, <laughs> I,
1: think,
2: <laughs> I think the troubles are a bit more at the front and center of it as well, more than. Ah uh, right, okay. Um, I've seen parts of it, and certainly the, the the parts that I've seen, it seems like the troubles play a bigger part than. But so there's this the is it Mexican Revolution?
0: No, no, it's like it's 70s, I forget what it? it's called let me let me have a look at it but it um. wasn't like an an event that changed a government. it was more of a sort of a kind of like the same kind of thing as the Kent State massacre would be in America you know the corpus mm. Christi massacre that's what it's called. Thank you for oh, okay. <laughs> <Right, okay. laughs> yeah okay <laughs> like that
1: was an episode in a very very chaotic modern history. Yeah, mm. mm. <laughs>
0: I do. I haven't read as many Mexican responses to it as I should, and I, this time I became very curious about that because it feels like the time period is very vague until the New Year's party, at which mm. point someone says something like "Goodbye to 1970," yes. and I wonder if, for a Mexican audience who who know this history, is that a big "Oh shit" moment? You know, is that when the penny drops that this is where it's going? Mm. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it must be nice, you know, because it did try it did connect with a lot of uh, Spanish speaking and Mexican audiences. Because mm-hmm. honestly, there's not a lot of movies made
0: for that audience.
3: Yeah. You might be the wrong
0: the, sort of group of people to be talking about it. I guess. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> well, there is yeah, that, but also. mix of a four white guys movie podcast. Here, <laughs> I think that that yeah. is true,
1: but at the same time, a lot of movies that present Mexico, they present it as sort of third class and third everything, mm-hmm. really. They're oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no respect spent on Mexico. Whereas no, this, no. as a Mexican person talking about Mexican history, Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's the right person doing the right film with the right messages at its heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Completely. Definitely,
1: yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> It demands a lot of patience, though.
2: Yeah, mm. that was a, I think that was another thing. I feel like it could have maybe been about 20 minutes shorter, just, yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, because that. I think yeah. the it gives you a good background of the family. Because, yeah, well, certainly the mother, you don't really see much of the father in it, and mm. that comes to pass later on when he just kind of vanishes totally from the film. Um, and they kind of the mum seems quite erratic and snappy, and mm. she can be all. Oh, peace and love to Cleo one minute and then the next second she's just giving her a bollocking for not mm. picking up dog shit. And <laughs> it's a good um, kind of depiction of that, her kind of daily life as being the maid. But mm. yeah, maybe a wee bit of time. I mean, Alfonso Cuaro knows more than me, but maybe a wee bit <laughs> kind of shaved off might have made it a bit more palatable for me.
1: Yeah, yeah I can uh, appreciate that. Um, any closing thoughts on Roma before we pick who is next? Are we all
0: the spent? the only thing that we haven't talked about is the Netflix factor. And yes. I, I do mm. think with a film that is this contemplative, it's not gravity in the sense of a thing you have to see on the big screen, but I would have enjoyed the chance to like sit in a darkened room with no distractions and really sink into it. And it's a, <laughs> It's a pain because no one other than Netflix would fund a movie like this mm. now. But also they're quite a bad platform to watch it on. Mm.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it was in cinemas, but probably like only in London or something, or like or like
1: in one showing. Yeah. Just in like enough. It. For it to be qualified as a yeah, cinematic exactly. release,
3: because yeah. was it this one was the controversy like it, it being at can or was that one well, of the other
1: ones I can't remember. But well, can of just hit everything. It just well, yeah, yeah. Seen, you know, <laughs> but They're
3: really anti. Like if it's on Netflix and it's not been in the cinema, it's not. It's a not a film.
1: real movie. because
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no.
3: yeah, when was because be when, <laughs> when was the Irishman? Because that was, it was like this. And an Irishman came. I think out, the like, Irishman
0: oh, was the year after this. Right, so that was that's when. when uh, A bit of the Netflix ill feeling had been burned through by Mm -hmm. then.
2: Mm. It's, um, it's interesting you say that about watching it in a cinema. I think if I had watched it in a cinema as well, I would have been more engaged with it a bit. Mm. It's really easy. Even when you're still sitting, and I uh, was sitting fully focused on the film, you can still get that wee bit distracted. Yeah. And you can say, I'll oh, just jump to the toilet quickly and pause it. It still kind of takes <laughs> you a little bit. Even if you're you'd not particularly, but if you're in the cinema, you would just sit there for that whole two hours, 10, two hours, 15 that it is, mm-hmm. and get that engagement. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're seeing it definitely a lot more since the, kind of, we're not out of the pandemic yet, but we're at the tail end of it, and companies are still sticking with the streaming, like, um, I think we're getting the new Predator movie, Prey, which has been getting rave reviews everywhere, like Mm. four or five stars, some people have probably wrongly said it's better than the original, but that's getting no cinema release of, and it's just coming straight to Disney plus which yeah, is crazy it's weird, isn't and that's, it? A pred- yeah. that's a that's definitely something you would want to see on the big screen and it's, it's a spectacle as Yeah, it's, it's a bad trend like i, I don't yeah. like it i'd rather have the opportunity cuz i remember being hyped for this before it came out and mm-hmm. i never got around to watching it just because it was on netflix and it was Almost too easy to watch, but if I'd went out my way to the cinema, yeah, I'd see it. yeah
1: exactly. Yeah, it's like a, a special feeling when you go to the cinema because it's not going to be yeah. there forever. You've got to catch mm-hmm. it whilst they catch it in its best version, and it's you know, it's mm-hmm. nice suit and everything. And I'll press up and <laughs> posh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll just see it. Yeah, it's there, it'll always be there, whatever. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think I understand why all of the kind of post-lockdown cinemas-back stuff has revolved around big spectacle-based movies. I understand why people think that's more of a you-have-to-see-this-in-the-cinema experience, mm-hmm. but it would be a shame if the indie sector rested too much on streaming because some of my favourite cinema experiences have been being allowing myself to really concentrate on something mm-hmm. that is very small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's not,
1: it's not this podcast what it is, but I think there's a there's a point of meshing between streaming and cinemas, and a, yeah. it's just sort of too separate from each other now. It's weird. Yeah, but
2: It's interesting, again, you're saying that, and we've off topic a wee bit here, but like, the Jurassic World Dominion just came onto streaming, and it's like 45 mm. days after. That's mm-hmm. fine, and mm-hmm. they're still making money because it's the pay-to-view, pay PPV, pay, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. whatever you want to call it, and yeah. Getting that balance to getting the 40-45 days in the screen, and the people don't want to go yet, and are still maybe mm-hmm. a bit apprehensive about going out and sitting in mm-hmm. full movie theaters, can still get that chance, and it should be, it should be balanced that way, especially for the directors as well. They don't want mm-hmm. everyone watching their, their movies on phones and laptops, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure
1: get definitely oh, yeah. doesn't. No, a, that video me. is evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> like money. You got a great big dollar sign there where most women have a heart. So play it
0: smart. Stay in character and you'll have money. Plenty of it. George will have it and he'll blow it all on you.
3: Johnny, I'm no
0: good for anybody else. I'm not pretty and I'm not very smart, so please don't leave me alone anymore.
3: What makes you think or know that you're going to have several hundred thousand dollars? Because I do. I just can't talk about it, that's all. Not even to me, your little share. I shouldn't have even mentioned I was going to have it. It's not that I'm lying. I know I can trust you. But if these other guys these ever... These other guys? I can't talk about the cherry. You've been talking. Now you spilled to her. Oh,
0: I didn't honest. What, do you think
3: I'm crazy? I wouldn't jerk, you clown! Come on, clown. Sing us a chorus from Pagliaggi.
0: Hey, where's the
2: jerk? Where's George?
1: Now we're at the point of the show where we pick who is going to be up on a upcoming episode. Ooh. So we have a list of 463
0: directors. I'm going to slightly correct you there, Rob. I'm going to jump in. Uh, we hadn't taken Alfonso Cuaron out, so it's 462 Okay, so that'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? If Quarrelly yeah, landed on him twice, yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's only 462. It's not a massive number like 463. <laughs> so you've whittled it down a bit there. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: the next director is going to be, please be a good one. Please be a good one. Fingers
0: crossed. <laughs> Generate number 402. 402. Oh, wow, that is a good one. And I think you should ready yourself for another two parter. Oh, not a third one on the bounce. Come on. (laughs) 402 is Stanley Kubrick. Oh, well, I (laughs) mean.
2: Yeah. I think I'm down for that one. I can't remember if I put my name down for that one or not. I mean, we should begin, really. I mean, whatever he wanted,
1: probably.
3: I can narrow down to four.
1: (laughs) Um. You have to do. The, I mean, let's just assume it's a do part. You have to do the Shining. I think you have I to. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: Um, two thousand and one. Again, you sort of have definite. to, don't you?
0: So, what are your curveballs? I mean, Barry Lyndon could be an interesting one to do, and I still haven't seen Barry Lyndon. Very
1: few people have seen Barry Lyndon. I've
0: seen that.
3: Pa-
1: of Padu-
3: is great. I watched that the other day with my dad. That's that's one of those
1: people don't talk about enough I think personally. yeah that'd I be think an those, interesting
0: on that yeah those pre-Spartacus ones generally get a bit oh, overlooked and it would be nice to have something from some, that either It oh, right. hate Spartacus Eyes Wide Shut Eyes Wide Shut Eyes Wide Shut would be a fun one to... mm. this <laughs> is the problem isn't it how, yeah, as you said how do you narrow it down to four yeah form? is yeah. early Noara very interesting is it the killing that he
1: did yes that's a great movie. Again, yeah. no, not enough people talk about it.
2: <laughs> AI up until Steven Spielberg took over and brought in aliens or whatever it was that happened in that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, he did do that, didn't he? had uh, a weird movie with a weird history.
2: Yeah, I hated um, it. But yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Clockwork Orange, of course. Yeah, we did mention that. Clockwork Orange. Full Metal Orange. Jacket. Oh, yeah, so if <laughs> you look at
3: the list, it's going to make
1: it even <laughs> harder. wasn't like Full Metal Jacket shot in somewhere ridiculous. It's presented but, as being... Isn't that Isle of Dogs or something,
0: isn't it? Oh, it's the Do- yeah, London's Docklands. It's Vietnam.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know London's pretty grim in some places, but come
0: on. <laughs> Doctor Strangelove? My favourite th- film, Doctor Strangelove. Love. Yeah, nice segue couldn't...
3: there for the Children and Men. It's like, <laughs> ah. Britain, there's dystopia. <laughs> we, yeah, we missed that. Wow. Yeah, Doctor Strangelove. Oh, I love Doctor
2: Strangelove. That's, you know, no, I'm looking at these and I've only seen Full Metal Jacket and The Shining and Clockwork Orange, those are the only ones I've, I've seen I've never seen Space Odyssey, Doctor Strangelove ah,
1: he's, so he's nice.
2: one of those directors that's kind of
1: I'll, I'll just say, if anybody tries to fight out uh, The Shining bean on these episodes I, I will come to your house and will
0: do stuff I will to your house and so. hack through but, the it, door it, with a fire Robbie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I ever call myself Robbie, I don't know I've lost my mind completely. So it's kind
2: fitting. You've got to have the shining in there. You can't know even just for the. You could have a half-hour chat talking about how much Stephen King despises it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> Stephen King just needs a, a bit of a break, doesn't he? He's Aye. a bit,
0: Man a just, hobby. You've get off too
1: much chatting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get off Twitter for a bit. You'll be fine.
2: <laughs> I'm actually looking, in AI, AI isn't in <laughs> his filmography directed is. by. Yeah, it well, wasn't actually he, directed at all. Uh, he just he started it. it. Yeah, yeah, right, okay, and, and then after... gave it to Spielberg.
1: Probably uncredited. There's a few bits like that in. It's like a, cinema history. It's probably like right. a thanks to Stanley or something. Yeah, you know, okay. I
2: imagine. Because everything's just eyes wide shut. It's just the last one they've got. Yeah, interesting. I was I assumed that was his last one. I thought they were really far into shooting, and then he died, no, no. and then Spielberg took no. over. But I still blame him for the aliens, so it was just dumb. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Of course it is. You've seen what he did
1: with uh, Indiana Jones. Of course it was. Yeah,
2: and also yeah, he uh, the marketing it. the marketing for it made it out as if it was this war movie between sentient robots and uh, man, and they were on the run, and it kind of wasn't the run in the movie, but it wasn't that. It was kind of like Pinocchio.
0: Yes,
1: yeah, it was. It was very, very, I'm not
0: like fine. Pinocchio. Yeah, <laughs> wait
2: till the Spielberg
3: episode,
1: and you cover that one. Uh, yeah. that, is, that is a big, that is the biggest fish we've had. Mm. That is, if yeah. you're going to put like a top 10, like hypothetical of the best filmmakers of all time, I don't, there's not so much thing, but mm-hmm. if you were going to put a list like that together, Stanley Kubrick would probably be on that list. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think we've had maybe Fellini, but he hasn't oh, even exactly. had, yeah. had, uh, yeah. uh, had the cut through. Yeah, not had, yeah, had cut through. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kubrick, that's that's exciting.
0: Yeah. Nostalgics out there,
1: a blush from the past, all the way back from 2003. That beautiful time when people refused to accept the future was just around the corner.
3: Hey.
0: He's snoring. No, wasn't. Yes, you are. He always snored. Where are we?
1: Canterbury. We're close.
0: Anyone know if there's a hotel around
3: here?
1: What? Julian promised me a little bit of action.
2: You still like it in the afternoon?
1: So what do you do? Rob a train, blow up a building? girl. You told me he was suave. One kid's a drunk. He's suave. Should've seen him in the old days when he was a real activist. Uh, you were the activist. I just wanted to get laid. One time, the police
0: came to throw us out of our squat, and Theo invited them up for coffee to negotiate, only the coffee was spiked with ketamine. No, you didn't, did you? Oh, fuck I'm off. you got to be kidding you know how many people I've tried I this with? You'll be happy to know, out of the hundreds, hundreds? you are still the I'm only not doing one. It. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, the car's moving yes, too much. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you are. you
1: <Okay. laughs> are. <laughs> no,
2: wait. Wait. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Do it again. Do it
2: again. <laughs> Julian, that's disgusting.
0: Go, 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 we're going to make
2: it
1: I'm not going to make it So that leads us to the second movie that we're going to be talking about in today's episode um, 2006's Children of Men who Mm. wants to synopsise this dense little number (laughs)
2: I'll give this a go Um, make it as simple as I can so she is 2027 and childbirth is no more been 18 years since there was last a a child born in 2009 I think it says in it Mm -hmm. Um, and Clive Owen's character Theo is approached to get a young girl out of the UK Um, and throughout the course of the film um, he finds out she's pregnant and Essentially, he's trying to get her to safety. It's a very dystopian UK that they're living in, or no, what it's we would not call real. It's I know, it's, it's <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> I was just <laughs> going to say it, it could be, I, I know, five years, I know, and it, we're going that way, but um, yeah, it's essentially looking at different elements of the dystop- dystopia and trying to save this woman and her eventually
1: born child. Um, it's incredible, but, isn't it? You it's incredible. Think, uh,
0: it gets mm-hmm.
1: a better I yes. Yeah. 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 Um I don't know why I've kind of distanced myself from it a little bit, but it, I don't know, it's just an odd film. It doesn't get the reputation it deserves. It's it's kind of being a bit pushed away to the side. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, I think there's like a, a very defined line in sci fi non sci fi. There's sort of pre Marvel and there's post Marvel. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And this is very pre-Marvel, and it's a masterpiece of that. But sci-fi has changed so much. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: it's weird though. I feel like if you mention Children of Men to anyone, they will go, "Oh yeah, great film." Like it's mm-hmm. one of those, isn't it? It's like and anyone who's seen it was like, "Oh yeah, it's good," isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think just... it has a it has a very devout cult. But it was interesting, like remembering back to seeing this at the cinema and being very excited about it and. My memory of the reviews is that they were very positive, but even then, I don't think people grasped what a remarkable film this was. I don't think people knew how much this was going to change filmmaking in a lot of ways. It's a very clever movie. It's if you have not seen it before. It is sci-fi,
1: but it's not like spaceships and superpowers. It's mm-hmm. one subtle difference. Mm-hmm. The world is fundamentally the same, but Blaker, but mm. one subtle change which had completely upended everything. It's very kind of V for
2: Vendetta feel. Yeah. To that, mm. that element, that style of sci-fi dystopia. Um, one thing you don't really see is, you know, Britain's clearly like a, a fascist state of some kind, in it. it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a line where, uh, I think, is it Michael Caine says, these poor bastards talking about the refugees that have come into mm-hmm. the country, they come in here, and then they get hunted and deported. Yeah. And it's like... It's, it's, you just <laughs> picture pretty Patel riding a horse, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's Fucking uh, that, that, four horsemen. That is the bit that,
3: like, stands out now. Is like, oh, wow, that is basically now. <laughs> Everything it's, to do with immigration in this film is like, yeah, that's... That's it's what's happening.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. frighteningly prescient. It's not yeah. just this um, international sort of um sort of uh, refugee policy. It's just generally everything. Uh, it's spooky.
0: Yeah. The bit that floored me this time that I'd completely forgotten about is the very tiny detail that Theo, the lead character's son, died during a flu pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Like,
2: yeah. Yes. It's it's quite interesting how that's the the kind of nods to his son having mm-hmm. been around and there's no like overly sentimental flashback there's a small conversation between mm. him and um Julianne Moore mm-hmm. and then uh Michael Caine's giving a story over drinks with the the kind of runaways and he mentions yeah, yeah. what happened that's the only way you find out and that's really it that's all you really hear about his mm. son uh, Dylan I think the boy's name is yeah um and it, it's good way. It's, a, it's, it's the perfect way for this movie to do it because you don't always get the full story in mm-hmm. this film. It's only what's happening to your characters. Kind of similar to what we've seen. We, we were discussing Romay earlier on. The focus mm-hmm. is on Clive Clive Owen is the focus. It's the, yeah. the camera follows him. So there's no huge exposition. There's no big bad or anything like that. Really, as such, there's there's, there's people who are. Wrong. who have maybe the wrong motivations um, for your characters, but it's good the way they've, they kind of drop it in, as you're saying, kinda quite subtly.
0: That was part of what I think people missed about it at the time, how groundbreaking it was in terms of exposition and narrative. I think that people weren't ready for a film where so much of the information is conveyed visually like when we first meet mm. michael kane as jasper there's like a pan across a board of memorabilia he has yeah. and that's him and his wife's backstory i mean there's mm-hmm. even that bit early on where theo's being held in this hut by julian and the fishes the terrorist group she's part mm. of And the walls are covered in newspapers Mm. that in in a film set in the present day, the props designer would just buy some newspapers. But because this is set in the future, all of those walls have details on about civil wars in other countries, about King Charles III making a statement. And these are literally background details These are literally things that are in the background of a scene that's about something totally different, but it teaches you so much about how this world works.
1: It's some of the best world building and design. It's miraculous because even on um, a production level, Mm. memory kind of was a bit weird with this one. I didn't realise how expansive and big it is, Mm. how much ground it covers, how uh, affected the world is. Yeah. how much to change in the design of it. It's incredible.
3: Yeah. it's cause I, I was listening to the audio book of the book, just out of interest. And it's very mm. interesting how I, I'm actually sort of struggling with it because it loads up the exposition. It starts in like 2021. So you're seeing Theo and you, he's telling the story. And it's very exposition heavy in a way that's quite sort of it, it takes like it's, it's much more about like him and they meet him meeting julia uh, julian for the first time and it's uh, it, it's it's almost like the exact opposite of what this film does it does how it does the exposition, but yeah you always saying about the design i just love the bit where he like he visits his brother and you just get this transition of just like him in the car and he's like you see him in sort of like the chaotic littered sort of slums of london and then and as he gets like, to like battersea it's like these gardens mm. with like animals running around It's even just as something as simple as that. It's like that transition. when you, um, when Colin on the car and widows, it's that sort of simple thing of just you move from one area to the next and you can see immediately what the social structure is without having to yes. explain that's what it is, you know,
0: yeah, absolutely, and I think that that scene in Widows is one of the many scenes in Hollywood movies that you can point at and say that's post Children of Men. Mm. You know, I think Mad Max Fury Road is a post Children of Men film that maybe if this hadn't come before it, they wouldn't have been able to tell so much of that story in terms of. Visual images and offhand references and other non-expositional methods. I think that's the most important ground that it broke. Cast, yeah. This has a
1: spoil for choice cast. It's amazing. Mm, I
3: forgot of so was in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got... it was like, oh, that's a that's a tree, and
1: yeah,
3: yeah, um, um, Ferris and. <laughs> If will probably end up and there, Oh, so go on.
1: Um, what's he called? Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a secret Geordie. He keeps on hiding the fact that he's a Geordie <laughs> in American stuff.
0: Charlie um, Hunnam, man. I was really pleased to see that he could remember to do a Geordie accent in this, because judging by yeah. his recent interviews, he has forgotten entirely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I mean, Michael Caine, uh, it's probably a controversial mm. opinion, but it's probably one of my favourite roles of his ever, honestly.
0: Goes, that, I think he's easily. incredible in this
1: mm-hmm. yeah playing the old happy essentially yeah. <laughs> but, Puff, <yeah>. strawberry cough
0: <laughs> I- do you know who he based that character on who his inspiration for it was
1: I don't know
0: back in the 60s Michael Caine got stoned with John Lennon a couple of times and Jasper <laughs> is basically his memories of John Lennon. That
3: makes a lot of sense, especially with the whole pull my finger thing, which obviously becomes heartbreaking yes. thing. But um, yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Even the way he looks, the way he sort of holds himself, I can see, I can see the Lennon.
1: Um, it's I've got to mention the long tech cinematography in this because mm. oh. I think uh, it's just as earned as it is in Roma, but yeah. there's one in particular here. I mean, it's just a string of long tech shot after long take shot. That's mm. just the way his movies are put together. Mm. Yeah, But there's one here which is incredibly emotional. Mm. Um, it's at the end when everything's kicking off at Beck's Hill and oh, yeah. he, he just walks out afterwards. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that is the sort of cementing moment for me when I realise, yeah, this is probably a masterpiece, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
3: The thing I love about it is that walking away and then literally like walk a few feet and then the shooting starts again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's like within like a few seconds, it's like back mm-hmm. to normal. And it's, again it, cause, it's that, Cause it's that continuous thing. You really feel that jolt, um, mm-hmm. in a really affecting
1: way. Yeah. I mean, justify the long text in the same way as in Rama. You just can't escape. Yeah. You can't escape mm-hmm. this bleakness, but it's just more going on here in a mm. action sense.
0: Yeah. I, well, I think I've, I've interestingly, different long takes aren't they like the long yeah. takes in Roma have a kind of meditative effect they're meant to make you settle in and relax into a scene whereas this is immersive in a very different way this kept reminding me and I think Cuaron mentioned this as an inspiration actually it kept reminding me of the Battle <coughs> of Yeah, <Algeria>, that very <laughs> famous 60s film which is the first film to have shot what a war movie as though it was newsreel. And what I like is that the long takes aren't perfect. They have a great technical accomplishment, but when a bomb goes off, they shake. Mm-hmm. When someone gets shot, the blood splatters on the camera lens. You know, it never feels too smooth and effortless. There's always a sense of danger in the takes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that was what I was going to mention. Actually, the a, a bomb goes off and it's you're feeling it because of the reaction of the camera, mm-hmm. um, and the there's another point I was going to make. It almost feels certainly during the kind of battles, the kind of running battles throughout the movie, war documentary style, like yes. or like a, or like um, uh, you're watching in a, a Middle Eastern country in the BBC or. Are <laughs> filming something that's happening live there and then, or Ukraine at the minute, even. Yeah. Uh, but would say Middle Eastern there, narrow minded,
0: but, uh, but um, Ukraine. Well, that's, that. that's part of what it's doing, isn't it? I mean, this mm. is made in the noughties when yeah. the Iraq war had just kicked off. And part of the point is look, we're not immune. You know, here's Abu Ghraib style prisons, here's mm-hmm. like terrorist attacks on the streets of modern mm-hmm. Britain.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the opening scene, isn't it? He's, yeah. Uh, they kind of, they the start is it, the, start is the, in the movie anyway? Is, is it The big giant Greg's. And then he goes out and, um, is, the, is it the Greg's or the, 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 the coffee shop that blows up? Or is it, yeah. nice to it yeah. or yeah. something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you get the ringing in his ears and, um, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. And it's really, it's quite a, it, how well it's shot, it still feels like quite a, dirty movie that gets under your fingernails like everything's dusty and horrible and yeah you're no you're you're not guaranteed to get a shower at the end every day type of thing it's like (laughs) feel immersive in that way the thing that really
1: works for me on that just there one thought when you're doing long tech cinematography if one thing goes wrong you have to literally reset Mm. every last thing to how it was exactly (laughs) and do it again Mm -hmm. yeah and I think this evades it by having that sort of scruffy, dirty, ramshackle nature with that sort of war documentary thing, yeah. which is inspired sort of a production level, but also it just gives it this real mm-hmm. yeah. reality. Yeah. Like The the the, the one-shot
2: thing is, the, in the past few years certainly, has become more popular, but there mm-hmm. becomes really obvious kind of fake-out parts where the, the you can tell the camera's changed. Like 1917, I never really got the hype around that, and the there's like a really obvious bit like the camera will go underwater and he pops back up or he falls asleep. So the camera turns off to go, well, that's not a one shot, (laughs) but this is done more of like, it's a part of an explosion or maybe block the camera, which they can then do, they can transfer to a, a, an edit point in there. And or yeah. Birdman, as well, that was another one, that was fucking Ugh, awful. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> gimmick, this is a gimmick, gimmick yeah, that. it's not, this yeah. isn't really used as a gimmick, this is just the way you're oh, no. telling the story, and yeah, exactly. these, these other ones just don't get that the way this does.
1: Uh, Mike, you were going to say,
3: um. Well, I think it's, the difference of, like with Rome is that it always sort of, it's, it's always a little bit like distanced, a little bit, just in terms of where the camera's literally placed, whereas this is sort of right up in there, and that's what again gives you that sort of thing, is that you, you can't escape from it. And also just like the fact of like, obviously, this all had to be, like, choreographed and stuff, but it all still feels random. Like, when he's sort of running through the hospital at the end, it feels like he's like, oh, we can't go in there because somebody's... And he's got to turn around. And, it, it, and obviously, they've had to, like, choreograph that literally, but it doesn't feel mm-hmm. choreographed, which yeah. is really the astonishing trick to pull off to still get that sense of
2: chaos. almost feels like a, a first-person shooter at times during the I battle scenes. I think it' a bit... Like, it's it's not like a full-on video game, but there is that element of it, the way your camera would shake if a bomb goes off near you playing Modern Warfare or something like that. Yeah, There's yeah. that yeah. element to it as well. It's better
0: Peter than a Mullen. game. <laughs> Peter, Peter Mullen children. is Sid. Sid. Oh, Oh, Peter I mean, Mullen.
2: I, mean, oh, yeah, I love Peter
0: Mullen at the best of times, but this is incredible, isn't it? <laughs> speaking really? in the so third good. person. That was such a strange,
1: <laughs> such a strange decision the, but it works.
2: <laughs> it's oh, it it, it's it. just
1: cast. The cast is just perfect honestly. I don't oh, think yeah. um uh, apparently the well not apparently the uh the black girl who plays uh, I can't remember her name who says key. wicked oh. key key yeah, she retired action. from um acting after this because honestly where oh, could wow. you get no, but that's... I think in only in recent few years that she's come back, she took oh, a break right, to go to say, university. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd seen her recently, if mm. you're right, for a long time she just did seem to vanish, which is weird because wow. she's so great in this. Yeah. But yeah, she is acting again now. Um,
1: yeah, she's going up against all of these titans and these heavyweights and mm. she holds <laughs> her own so well. Mm -hmm. I guess you could sort of
3: quibble slightly of like how much character do we get from her because she is sort of the one who's being sort of dragged
1: around as it were, you know. um, I think there's some sort of criticism of that. We yeah. do, uh, in The quieter moments. Mums, we realise who mm-hmm. she is, um, yeah. what sort of yeah. person she is, and you realise she is just a kid that she says wicked to everything and she's so impressed by things. She's, she's just very,
2: a kid. Um, she's it's- very uh, forthright in the way she wants to be. She's brave, like she shows herself to Theo in the barn yeah. to show that she's mm-hmm. brave. Even the first kind of encounter um, in the car, and mm-hmm. he's saying he's trying to he's like kinda of looking at us, What have you done? She goes, what the fuck are you looking at? Nah. <laughs> it's like you get <laughs> kinda she's bristly and she's got her yeah. own personality and she's quite mm-hmm. yeah, she's quite abrasive, but there's a, obviously she she's scared about what she's going through and she even mm-hmm. explains at one point, she's like, No one told me, I've never no one told me about pregnancy mm-hmm. and there's not something that can yes. explain. It's an
1: incredible part of, sort of world building as well. Mm-hmm. It's something so everybody knows about um pregnancy. What it entails, whether you've experienced it or not, you've got like an idea of the whole thing. But yeah. to write it in the script and uh, exist in that world, where it's just not a thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, do it we... sort of subtle but beautifully implemented. I think. Yeah, because
0: Could... no, it's the the thing that sort of struck me on this viewing in terms of like imagining what a world without children would be like is when they're hiding out of that ruined building, and it was only on this viewing that I realized, oh shit, it's a school. Because of course, all the schools have been oh, ruined. No sure. one needs them anymore. And I just think that's genius. That's yeah. a subtle
1: little seeds yeah. of what it would be like to live in a world without pregnancy. It's so clever.
0: Mm-hmm. But I we've, really we've, we've
1: pushed about it. I mean, there's got to be something shit about it. Come on, now. <laughs> Look since, deep I'm in your sorry, pockets. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. Deep in there, there's got to be something.
2: Um,
1: Anything. A bit of balance. Come on.
2: <laughs> uh. I think I've stumped him. <laughs> I genuinely can't <laughs> it's, think of anything it's no that question, really. Man. It's the, the, there's nothing that would come out straight away that you think, oh, yeah. It's a bit rubbish, isn't it? No, there's nothing. I honestly can't think of it. I, I think guess, it's flawless. I think it's a flawless movie. Like, mm. I, don't, I genuinely yeah. think there's nothing.
1: There's
2: it's ever- just, of them. Yeah. Pacing, pacing's perfect. Mm, uh, it yeah. builds up the tension that uh, uh, pays off at the end. Uh, yeah, I just. <laughs> it, it, it gives a, a, a depiction of what life is probably like at the moment for refugees in this country, then mm. at a time when maybe the seeds were getting sown for what we're at now with that. But um, mm. no, I, I genuinely can't think of anything to quibble with.
1: I mean, it'd be really, was, really nitpicking. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, mean I, I, know, I know it's a. Uh, a pretty Patel's sort of dream board, but you know we can't get
2: <laughs> down on that. <laughs> I've heard like um, if you've heard the Tom Sixes and Ania Club where it's about people who watch movies and pleasure themselves to tra- not watch movies, pleasure themselves to tragedies. It's never been released, oh, so Christ. that's a bit. Yeah, but of course it's not. But um, this is what I think. Pretty Patel probably watches when she does that. <laughs> it's Tom Six it's on the just,
1: list. I don't think he's so. not because he's just a bloody edge lord isn't he? he, he, he Grow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know what I mean. That's it's pretty, Yeah. That's, Patel's got like ten versions of this because it's she's not clever enough to get the subtlety of it and just sees it. And goes, Look at what I can do. <laughs> she's
0: got like a whole wall of TVs, like Bowie and the man who fell to earth, oh, just please. lined up, all playing this. <laughs> Before we get too political,
1: you're all lies. The last time I was in <laughs> there was Michael Moore. To be fair, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it. I was just looking to be a bit of balance because we have gushed, but I think it's one of the very, very few occasions where we can actually just gush. because oh, yeah. there's not many mm-hmm. movies that are listed, so consistent throughout.
0: I would have loved to jump in and be awkward and say something's wrong, but I, I genuinely was stump stumped to even think of a joke answer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: I can't remember the music, but other than that, I, and I probably wasn't paying deli- attention.
3: There's some like cool stuff, but it's
0: deliberate it sparse.
3: I think it's usually I think it's usually that sort of like you, you, I notice is usually when the character dies, always like or is like disappears, yeah. and then obviously at the end. I guess you could slightly quibble, not quibble the ending. Like is it is a bit Hollywood the ending? You're not a little only a, like a shred, but it's just, maybe that's just because it's been such a Despair film to have a shred of optimism yeah.
1: feels wrong. Almost mm. <laughs> the world is saved by fishermen.
2: Have, <laughs> yeah. Maybe done a bit more Julianne Moore and Chivita Legia for, yeah. but I, yeah, I mean it's not like their, their parts were wasted. It wasn't they weren't no. used enough. But that's again, it's it's really bare bones nitpicking It's it's hard hard to find in. <laughs> so that's the ex girlfriend, is it? The old
3: ex-girlfriend. Judy Foster. Jane Foster. The one that got away. The one that got away. That means escaped. Yeah. 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 Must be hard for you to see your ex-girlfriend and your ex-hammer hanging out and getting on so well.
2: What you up to, bro? Come to daddy. Come on. no. Yeah.
1: Oh, hey
2: no answer,
1: I was it's just calling you, you. Um, so that's enough gushing with uh, Alfonso Caron so we are at the part of the show now where we talk about other things that we have been watching and plug stuff if you want to plug stuff please plug stuff <laughs> so, who wants to um, get in first, jump in first yeah uh, oh, yeah, I'll go first.
2: Um the most recent trip to the cinema was I saw Thor Love and Thunder. Um ah, yeah. I and I had a full empty cinema with reclining seats, it was great. Um <laughs> it is not as good as Ragnarok, but I don't get the hate for it that people are coming out with recently. Like it seems it seems that there's now a a, a movement of it's cool to have a go at Taika Waititi. Seems to mm. be building up, and I don't know if that's going to keep
1: going. I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's, just on that, I think there's a little bit of uh, he was a bit too public of his private life and it rubbed people up a bit the wrong way,
2: yeah, yeah, aye, it could be that. But in terms of the movie, um, maybe a bit too much of ad libbing and kind of off the cuff stuff in it that Natalie Portman's character and maybe Natalie Portman just as an actress doesn't seem to be able to keep up with chris hemsworth but chris hemsworth's one of the best no. around for that um i mean he's got to have a fly he's just he's just cheating <laughs> isn't he <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um and so great fun great kind of wee cameo for russell Crowe, and he's brilliant as zeus um corg maybe outstays his welcome a bit in this one but yeah i thought it was great fun um as I said, don't get the hate. It's one of the lowest ranked MCU movies. I think there's a lot more yeah. worse. Oh yeah, it's um, way worse. Uh, I'm saying it, but just, just you know that really it's <laughs> <movie. Yeah. laughs> um, a Was two. full two? <laughs> yeah. Full two. yeah. Oh god. Iron Man <laughs> two for me is worse as well. um And then I watched the Grey Man last night. Netflix new
1: most expensive. Is is I think it was the most expensive movie they've ever produced.
2: Yeah. They, I mean, they've. They, they, Blew a lot of things up. It was a generic action movie, but they've just got um, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans in the leads, which seems to. have, If it didn't have them, it would be one of those ones you wouldn't find because of the algorithm. It was fine. Like I wouldn't. I didn't hate it. It's a fine brainless Sunday night
1: movie, which is when I watched it. So I find Ryan Gosling really weird. I mean, he's he's, he's um actor, superstar, good looking, but he has a vibe about him which is not of that world. Mm. I can't get my head around him. He's a bit See, creepy. All the, the yeah.
3: comments he's been yeah. making about the Barbie film and how he's playing Ken, is, he's talking about it as some spiritual experience, which is just making yeah. me more hyped for that movie.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's um, weird. It's, it's fine. Ryan Gosling is fine. of plays a very cold, similar character he's the, to the driver, but he's, mm. he's a bit more personality than that. Um, and Chris Evans. Ah, uh, he's yeah, he has a moustache. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's also <laughs> the bad guy. He's the antagonist, and he's kind of trying to play it a bit screwbally. And just because it's Captain America, I just kind of take him as a really psychotic villain. Like, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't really land with it. but it was fine. Possibly a wee bit long, um, but if it had been
1: a Liam Neeson movie, you wouldn't have had an eyelid. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, anything else?
0: Are we moving to? Uh... I think that's me,
1: yeah. I don't think I've seen it now. Graham, then. Move on to Graham. Right to left.
0: Well, if we're plugging, um, it it will be out and then some by the time this comes out. But uh, I am working at the moment on a Geek Show review for the new Criterion Collection reissue of Summertime by David Lean. And it's it's sort of interesting for me that Lean's a director I have a weird history with. Because when I was growing up... All I heard about him was, oh, Lawrence of Arabia or Bridge on the River Kwai. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to hate these movies. They're going to be big, boring, pompous, epics. And I still haven't seen a lot of his later work. With Lawrence of Arabia, I've sort of packed with myself I'm only going to see it if it comes on at a cinema. Because anything else just feels like a waste of that movie's potential. But you also start watching some of the early stuff, like Brief Encounter and you think, oh, this is basically like World War II where a British link later, isn't it? It's just two people <laughs> in a cafe falling in love. It's like the exact opposite of what I thought David Lean was. So I, I, for me, the most interesting period is like the 50s stuff when he was making things like uh, Sound Barrier, which are kind of halfway houses. They're definitely bigger scale. They hark more towards his epic work, but there's still a kind of intimacy to it to them, and that's where Summertime lands. It's exactly the kind of little love story that he would have made in the 40s. It's a nice movie about a woman who uh, meets a man, finds out he's married, but it turns out uh, he's married someone and they're estranged, and she has a moral dilemma over whether to continue the relationship. Very small thing that could easily be done on a Shepparton backlot. But because Lean has had a bit of a directorial glow up by this point, he's doing it in Venice in Technicolor with Catherine Hepburn. And it's it's a nice midpoint between the sort of intimate and the epic sides of Lean. I found it really seductive. I mean it just looks gorgeous, which you'd say that would's the least you expect from a technical fifties film set in Venice, but even by that standards it looks gorgeous. There's a bit where someone like throws a bucket of household waste in a Venice canal and you think, No, even that looks great. I don't get why like, <laughs> Catherine Hepburn's wrinkling her nose at that. It looks gorgeous. Um I've really come around on Lean and I, I it always I always have a special place in my heart for directors where I can throw my hands up and say, Yeah, fair's fair, I was completely wrong about you. You're a much more interesting filmmaker than I thought you were. Yeah. Excellent. That's summertime. Summertime, yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about from, like, uh, extracurricular stuff, I recently re-watched <laughs> Fata Morgana by Werner Herzog so, for no reason other than I was doing, you know that film-on-film film thing where, like, favourite film from 1970, blah, 1970, oh, yeah, blah, yeah. yeah, I was doing that. And I did the one for 71, and I thought, oh, Fata Morgana. And then I thought, it's been years since you watched Fata Morgana. You don't even have a letterboxd review for it, and you love that <laughs> film so much. So, right. So, uh, over Britain's summer heatwave, I went to the comparatively chilly, relaxing, cool climes of the Sahara Desert with Werner Herzog. Uh, and Fatima organ is not one of those films that people talk about. It's one of his great films, and I see why. But for me, it is so liberating. There is no plot, almost no structure to it. It is purely a record of things that Herzog has seen on his travels. And I think it's the kind of great film where, on the one hand, you look at it and you say, that's a singular vision. That's amazing. No one else could have made that. But you also think... I want to make a film like that. It's a paradox. You think yeah. like no one else could do it, but you want to do it. And it, it does remind you that sometimes, you know, that there's that old Jean-Luc Godard line about all you need for a movie is a girl and a gun. I think there is a woman in this. Uh, there's no guns. <laughs> There are no humans for large stretches of the film. That's such a weird quote, because he's basically just talking about kidnapping a girl. Yeah, he doesn't even mention a camera, which I think is quite important (laughs) in (laughs) filmmaking. But Fatimorgan is just pure observation. It's just like landscape and movement and animals and how strange the world looks when Werner Herzog's seeing it and it's, it's just a completely liberating film. I think every rule of filmmaking is broken, and it's great. Okay.
3: I've um, Mike? The, yeah. I've just seen that I think he's just released a novel. <laughs> oh, about he has? Yeah. It. It's like what the earth's not going to be like. Um most recent thing I've seen um, is Elvis. I don't know if you've it's just been oh, chatted oh. on the on the podcast Yeah, uh,
1: Yeah, that. it has, but you can talk it's fine.
3: Yeah, I I I really enjoyed it. Um, I uh, um, although the funniest thing I've seen recently is and Bruce Campbell was asked about it. Cause obviously he played Elvis Elvis in um, Boba Fett. Yeah, and he's and he asked about it, what do you think of Austin Butler? He, said, he tried. He really tried, didn't he? <laughs> Which I think is very ungenerous. I think Austin, but it was absolutely. It felt like I was just watching Elvis. I just forgot. Um, he got like for me, you know, the the mannerisms, the voice, the physicality, just amazingly I, re- I really enjoyed it i think it's, it's probably like of my favorite baz lerman film i've seen probably um it sort of suits uh, I, I like the approach it takes off with the colonel tom you know with tom hanks mm. i don't know, i don't think is he done many like villainous roles or close to villains because this is easily the most like unpleasant yeah. i've seen him i think um
0: Volta position is the only one that springs to mind for uh, me.
3: Yeah. Um so I like that framing device of like you're what you're seeing. Uh, so I saw a review, someone described it as Elvis is a film about uh, the subject of a biopic being trapped in a biopic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's a great pitch Basically it's does some of how the film works and that you saw sort of, it's it's a guy who's he was just want he just wants to do songs and you know have a good time and he sort of becomes caught up in this sort of machinations and being pulled in these different directions um yeah i really enjoy it and the like it's a it's a intimidating running time running time but it flies by um yeah, i think it's really good fun
1: anything else or...
3: that's yeah. the most recent thing i've seen apart from yeah that's it. Really.
1: <laughs> okay um so i'll close out um two uh i really like wormwood it's a 2014 australian zombie comedy uh, What's the sequel? Uh, Wormwood Apocalypse. I think it debuted at um, Glasgow Fright Fest. Um, it's trash. <laughs> 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 um, oh. just picture it's like two episodes, two series. Series one um, explains everything. It's everything's good. And then season two happens seven years later and it explains nothing at all. Picks up exactly where it left off and nothing makes sense. (laughs) Whereas the previous one sort of built up to its level of anarchy of zombies that breathe fuel and these uh, sort of states of people being both zombie and human. And this this is, okay, well, just drop it all there. Deal with it. not going to try to explain it. Just deal with it. It's there. Do it. It's like, it's just headache-inducing, honestly. <laughs> um, And the other one uh, is probably the anime movie from this year that's got the most attention, uh, Bell. Oh, yes. Uh, is it Mamoru Hasoda? Yeah, Mamoru Hasoda's yeah. Um, sort of remake of Beauty and the Beast. Its subtitle is The Dragon and the Freckled Princess. Um, It certainly takes Beauty and the Beast in a separate direction. yeah um, <laughs> It takes Beauty and the Beast to Japan where a mousy high school teenager who watches her mum die in the opening insane as she tries to rescue another kid loses her confidence. Fast forward to the future and we're in this reality where there's this app on your phone. If you put the things in your ears, you go into this alternate reality where the software will find the true value of your character, of your personality and uh, project your avatar into this world. Talks a lot about social media. Um, it doesn't make any sense the story because <laughs> you can simultaneously be both in reality and in the social media world at the same time, and it just blurs those lines so much. Mm. You don't know where you're supposed to be, and what makes any sense whatsoever. It's just very, very confusing. But um, people who like the so, i mean, I like punk rock and all sorts of things, like sort of dirty indie music. This is very J-pop, sort of mm. uh, polished J-pop. But the people who like that sort of thing have said great things about the music. It looks gorgeous as well, and it's genuinely a very, very inventive remake of a very old and probably overadapted story. Mm. No, not probably. It's definitely overadapted. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's well worth watching. Bell. Um. It's probably for people a bit younger than I am, but it is it has a lot of offer. Yeah.
2: Um. I've just um a, sorry, and I'm jumping in a bit. I forgot to mention Incantation. Which i also seen. I really want it. Taiwanese found footage, horror movie. It's really great fun, really creepy, had certain elements. Possibly a wee bit slow. Um, takes a while to get going, but um, really worth checking out. And if you, I can't remember the name of it, but if you don't like the holes in it, like if you're scared oh, of holes. To fold, to fold yeah. yeah, it's oh, got scenes yeah. of that in it and it's a bit vomit inducing. But it, well sorry, it. what? Holes.
3: Yeah, it's like so holes like in a, it's, I know, I know what you're talking about. It's like in a pattern, yes.
2: isn't it? So, sort of like, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, it's almost like a there's like holes in the skin of people in it, mm. and it's uh. that type of circles. Circles are holes, I can never remember. It's a certain Six, type of yeah. gives you just like a skin crawling feeling. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. tryptophobia, trypophobia, or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. The incantation definitely worth
1: checking out. That's a 2018 because that's like new out on mm. Netflix, isn't it? It's like, a...
2: yeah. Yeah, it's just came out in the past couple of weeks, and it seems to be getting a bit of gaining a bit of traction.
1: Yeah, Well, people yeah. who care about that sort of thing. Not from Netflix. Netflix, like, oh, it's on there. Uh, just forget <laughs> about <laughs> it. Not... Much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I think that's about everything for this week. So yeah, very good. Next week, and um, part two of this episode, where we'll have like the ugly stepchild movies um, <laughs> compared to these. <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe not the right way so to word it. wretchedness eh, man. But uh, these are the sort of the big cornerstones, whereas they're outliers, maybe. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Better way to phrase it. We have e 2 Tambien and Harry Potter, and oh, here we go, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yep, yeah. correct. Um, Mike, where can we find you online?
3: Uh, so uh, I run the blog not an autistic guy through horror. You can follow our socials at autistic horror on Instagram and Twitter. I also have been doing uh, reviews for the Geek Show. One of which will be Bell once I've finished writing writing it up. Um, so that'll be coming out soon. As well. Yes,
1: and um, Crem.
0: I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Graham W Film, and you can find me on Letterboxd by searching for Graham Williamson. I also run the Pop Screen podcast on The Geek Show, where we look at a different movie starring about or by a pop star uh, every episode. And I write for The Geek Show and horrified.com. Excellent And uh, Andy? Um, Get me on Twitter
2: At Nowhere Andy I'm the host of The Road to Nowhere podcast Which is At Where is Nowhere Um, We're Mainly We started out mainly As a monthly Kind of horror Sci-fi and comic book podcast Um, It's now kind of branching out We've got a section Direct to Nowhere Which Rob You have been A part of um, yes. and that'll be out at the time of recording the latest one that's came out was Larry discussing Sylvester Stallone with Kevin Mann of the Attitude Era podcast um, and that was a, a good listen um, and yeah it's just basically on there at where is nowhere talking directors and
1: stuff yeah, a bit different from <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, if you want to keep up with what I am doing what the podcast do, and you can follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at uncutrobcast, that's Uncut Robcast. That Uncut R O B cast. Um, so yeah, that's it for this week. Um, thank you for listening, and that has been Directors Uncut. playing the movie on a telephone. You will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be cheated. It's such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your fucking telephone. Get real.